Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is a show about breasts and the people who have them. From bras and sexuality to health and everyday life, this is the very breast podcast ever. So right off the top, you may notice that my voice in this episode is a little bit scratchy. I'm getting over the first cold I've had in more than a year, and my voice has kind of taken on this Phoebe Buffay singing smelly cat vibe. I've been wearing a mask for so long that I kind of forgot how to be sick, and I also forgot about this chain-smoky, suffering artist vocal creak I'm always blessed with for a couple weeks after a cold, and to be honest, I kind of like how it sounds. Think of it like a special treat this week to make up for us being a week late with this episode while I recovered. When we're born, a doctor usually says that we're male or female based on what our bodies look like. Most people, myself included, take absolutely no issue with this gender assignment and live their lives identifying as the sex they were assigned at birth. The doctor sees you have a vagina, you're female, and you'll grow up to be a woman. The doctor sees you have a penis, you're male, and you'll grow up to be a man. Before I jump deeper into this, I want to say that working on this episode was a huge learning experience for me. We started this podcast not just to bring our passion for all the breast things to all you beautiful listeners, but to speak to people from all walks of life and learn about their breast experiences. Somewhere between 0.6 and 1% of the U.S. population identifies as transgender. Based on a study conducted in 2016, it's estimated to be somewhere around 1.4 million adults in the U.S., but I struggle to find consistent statistics on this number. The reality is, we probably don't even know the total number since it's based on self-reporting. And this doesn't even account for transgender youths and adolescents who were not included in the study. For our interview this week, we spoke to a makeup artist and singer who also happens to be transgender. Our guest actually guided me on the best way to have this conversation, but I admit I'm still learning and navigating my way through this topic, and I may make a few mistakes along the way. But something our guest told me that really stuck with me is to do your research. Well, Breasties, you're in luck because I did some of that research for you, and I hope that this episode is as enriching to you as it was for me. Okay, let's get down to the titty-gritty of this episode, breasts and the transgender experience. I think it's safe to say that most of us, at least in my generation of millennials and older, were taught the basic binary gender equation from the time we were children. 
Girls have hoo-hahs, boys have ding-dongs, end of story. The idea of someone deviating from that was relegated to rumors whispered about people you knew, or jokes made about strangers, or problematic episodes of Maury we watched on snow days. It was often made a sideshow, a joke, something that many of us have come to understand is a completely fraudulent and horribly cruel misrepresentation by the media. It was not an openly discussed part of everyday life for a lot of us, and it certainly wasn't taught about in school when I was a kid. However, the reality is the concept of gender is not quite so simple, and those quote-unquote deviations are not sideshows, and they are not jokes, and they should not be treated as such. The gender you're assigned at birth and your gender identity are not always the same. Let's address this term, gender identity. Whether you're transgender or not, you have a gender identity. Your gender identity refers to who you feel you are on the inside, and your body may or may not physically match up to that. If you're like most of the population and your gender identity is the same as the gender you were assigned at birth, this is defined as being, quote, cisgender, which comes from the Latin word cis, or on the same side of. If someone's gender identity doesn't align with the sex they were assigned at birth, this is defined as being transgender, which comes from the Latin word trans, meaning on the other side of. And a person's gender identity can be female, male, or exist totally outside of that spectrum. You may have noticed that I refer to some of our guests as fellow breast havers, or that our podcast is described as a show about breasts and the people who have them as opposed to exclusively using the word women. That's because, generally, a good rule to follow is this. If you're referring to someone's gender identity, we use words like women or men. If you're talking about their bodies, you could say people with breasts. I do slip up sometimes, and that's okay. Times, they are a-changing, and we're all works in progress here. And the important thing to remember is what Sesame Street taught us when we were kids. Treat everyone with respect. And today, that means use the words and pronouns that the person you're speaking to wants you to when describing them. Everyone's experience with gender is different, and individually, one person's relationship with gender can also change over time. It's important to remember that not every trans person has the same experience. I'm giving you kind of a general overview of my view and my learning on the topic, and I hope it will inspire you to go out and learn more, ask questions, and maybe even educate others. So when we get into our interview later, there are a few terms that might be helpful to keep in mind. I've used the word binary already. This simply means referring to being either strictly male or strictly female. That is, girls, boys, him, her. Another term you may want to remember is non-binary. This means not strictly one gender. A person can identify as both male and female, neither, or exist totally outside of that. It's different for everyone. Are you noticing a theme here? Another term to remember is the word transitioning. When someone uses that word, what they mean is they're taking steps to feel socially or physically more aligned with their gender identity, how they feel on the inside. In terms of social transitioning, this affects how someone interacts with other people. It can include things like changing their pronouns or how they describe themselves or generally just how they interact with the world around them. I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you, but relax. I'm not going to quiz you at the end. And I'm learning right alongside you. You don't have to memorize all of this, and it's okay if you don't even totally understand all of it. If you take only one thing away from this episode, know that what is important is to be open to accepting that these differences exist, and to treat every single human being with respect and love. And if you're a first-time listener and you're like, hey, where are the boobs? 
Fear not, Breasty. They will come. Anyway, in terms of physical transitioning, this refers to altering their physical appearance and how they look to the outside world or people around them. It includes changing things like how you dress or wearing makeup, removing body or facial hair, or in some cases, actually taking medical steps like taking hormone supplements or getting surgery. This is called gender confirmation surgery and is sometimes called gender affirmation surgery or gender reassignment surgery, although I don't hear that last one all that much anymore. It can include a lot of different types of procedures. One of the most common is top surgery, that is, having surgery to reshape your chest to either add or remove breasts. Told you the tatas were on their way. About 70% of people assigned female at birth who transition to male get top surgery. We'll cover this in more detail in a later episode, but basically what this means is that they undergo what is essentially a mastectomy, where all the breast tissue is actually surgically removed. It's a little more involved than mastectomies that are a result of breast cancer. Usually, the chest wall is actually reshaped and more care is taken to reduce scarring. If a patient has small enough breasts to start with, often they can have what's called a nipple-sparing subcutaneous mastectomy, where the skin is spared and they end up with the same nipple they started with. However, in some cases where the breasts and the areolas are large, the nipples are actually removed, resized, and then grafted back on. Elliot Page recently famously had this surgery, and you can see his results in a post he proudly put up on Instagram a few months ago. About 44% of people assigned male at birth who transition to female get top surgery. In this procedure, the patient is almost always required to undergo hormone therapy, taking estrogen and other hormone supplements prior to surgery. This is partially because most U.S. insurance companies will require at least a year of hormones in order to cover the surgery, but also because the estrogen actually stimulates breast growth. And sometimes there's enough breast growth just from that that they don't feel they need top surgery. But, of course, again, it's different for everybody. I did go down a rabbit hole on the insurance question. How much is covered? Who decides if a surgery like this is quote-unquote cosmetic or elective or quote-unquote medically necessary? But just like anything else related to insurance, the answer to those questions is complicated and unfair and completely bananas. But we'll save that tangent for another episode. If someone transitioning from male to female does opt for top surgery, the procedure is similar to other breast implant or breast reconstruction surgeries. Sometimes, in preparation for the implants being placed, tissue expanders are placed under the existing tissue. This is exactly what it sounds like, a device that gets pumped up slowly over a few weeks to stretch the skin and make room for the implants. You can Google image search this if you'd like, but I decided to stop my research there after I read the word balloon-like and had to hold my own boobs in sympathy pain. After that, there are two main ways that the breasts are constructed. The first is probably the better known one, where a silicone device filled with either silicone gel or saline is placed under the breast tissue. This is a breast implant. Sometimes though, natural tissue can actually be used to build the breasts. In this case, fat is taken from another part of your body and injected into the breasts. And sometimes it's even a combination of the two. Say it with me, it's different for everybody. The upside of top surgery is that for some transgender people, it can result in feeling like their physical body is more in line with their gender identity. But some downsides for either procedure include scarring, infection, pain, and in the case of silicone or saline implants, leakage, rupture, and the fact that they usually have to be replaced about once every 10 years. And in some cases, even top surgery isn't enough to relieve the gender dysphoria that led to the decision to have surgery in the first place. 
Everyone's journey is unique and every trans person has to make the decision to get top surgery based on their own needs. And we should never assume that everyone's story is the same. Since gender itself is not a cookie cutter, one size fits all equation, it makes sense that being transgendered is not either. For some trans women, it is absolutely essential to have that surgery as an outward expression of their feminine identity. And for others, it's not even a thought that crosses their mind. If you have more questions, we've listed a ton of great sources in our episode notes on our website. Give us those clicks and check them out. In most cultures, breasts are the ultimate symbol of femininity. They're icons of womanhood, of fertility, of motherhood. They're external representations of the feminine, easy to spot indicators of gender. I've had breasts most of my life, and my whole career is built around supporting them. To me, they're part of who I am, and in that regard, I've never even given them a second thought, because having them never conflicted with my sense of self. But today, I recognize that privilege. Now, in 2021, we are introduced to more and more people every day who maybe didn't have such a clear journey. One of the first people I thought of interviewing for this podcast was a beautiful trans woman I met a few years ago named Demi. I met her when she did my makeup at an all-natural cosmetic shop in Soho here in New York City. I think I was just one of many to sit in her chair that day, so I'm not even sure if she remembers this conversation. Over the years, though, she stayed in my mind and on my Instagram feed. That day, while I sat in her chair and she made me look and feel beautiful, she told me a story about someone she knew back home refusing to accept her new identity, and I very ignorantly said, maybe they're just not used to it yet. I remember her stepping back, looking me dead in the eye and saying, they don't have to get used to it. I am who I am. We spoke to Demi about her career as a makeup artist, her views on femininity, and her own personal journey in developing breasts and having breast augmentation. She is crazy talented in more than one way. I recommend you check out her Instagram to see her work and hear her beautiful singing voice, although her speaking voice is a joy to listen to as well. She's an open and honest book. Without further ado, please allow me to introduce Miss Demi V. So welcome to the very best podcast ever. We have with us Miss Demi V. It's so good to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Of course. Uh, my name is Demi V and I live in Bed-Stuy here in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I work as a makeup artist, consultant, esthetician. I'm doing a lot of things. I'm moving through the, the beauty industry currently. And um, yeah, that is that is a large part of who I am. I'm sure at the end of this interview, you'll, you'll know tons more about me. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, so you're known for being a, a makeup artist, like you said. I know you also do some singing. Um, and you have a pretty respectable following on social media. I saw recently that you graduated from Christine Valmy International School of Aesthetics. I did. Yeah. I did. Yes, you done the research. We appreciate. I have, yeah. We stand. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yes, I graduated from there recently at the end of June. So, can you tell me a little about what you're working on now and what's next for you? Yeah, of course. I'd love to. I am hoping to um, soon open a day spa where I can have my guests come in and just relax and chat, watch TV while they get facials. Um, I, I have a kind of a different vision of what a day spa is. I mean, 
I honestly think of what I'm going for as a lazy Saturday, except not at your house. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. I'll be doing waxing, um, obviously facials, as I mentioned before, and in the future, laser hair removal. So Ooh. looking forward to that. Yes. Which has been a struggle in its own. I'm for me personally i'm also a fan of laser hair sorry really? I can't. <laughs> yeah me too i'm actually looking for i'm looking for someone to do it now because i i let it go during the pandemic and now i have this whole situation here i need yeah. to deal with oh yeah and laser it's really powerful stuff so you have to get trained for it and so that'll mm -hmm. be my next step in terms of education is you know going through and getting the certifications and so i can get started well, of course, after I buy the machine, but another animal, <laughs> another baby beast in its own. Baby, baby steps. steps. Yes. Yeah, starting with waxing. Sure. Um, so when you work with clients, both as a makeup artist and all other areas of aesthetics that you work on, what's that experience like? What's your process? Oh, honestly, you know, my process is always just checking my baggage at the door before I start. Um, with anyone. Um, aesthetics, doing someone's makeup, touching someone's skin is, it's really personal. Um, some would even argue that it's a spiritual exchange. And so I want people to feel all the good that I have in that moment, because when I have them walk out of that door and they get up out of my chair, I want them to feel empowered. And so um, I start by, like I said, checking myself, checking my baggage at the door and just loving on that person and listening. It's really uh, more therapy than it is cosmetics. Um, but, you know, a lot of the things that I love doing is just grooming people and making them feel good. That's, that's really the whole process for me. The artistry comes second. I, just, I love the connection. So for you, it kind of sounds like you just have to focus on that one person as soon as they walk in. Is that, that what Absolutely. you mean by checking your baggage? Absolutely. Yeah. Checking every, everything that I'm no longer the, um, the priority. And my mm -hmm. client walks in the door, you know, it's, it's all about what they need. Um, and just, just trying to be as attentive as I'd like someone to be when I'm receiving a service. So, yeah. So in your personal experience and also in your experience as, as a makeup artist working on clients, what in your opinion are some of the things that women struggle with the most in terms of confidence? Oh goodness. Um, the perception the perception um, that others may have of them, you know, having your brows not done might seem unkept to many. Having your hair not freshly blown out to some of my clients just doesn't seem professional. Having your nails not done, it's, it's really a lot. Um, it's a lot of things to kind of look out for in a client and just making sure that they know that like, I'm meeting them where they are and I'm not expecting perfection and they shouldn't either. You know, that we're, we're both looking towards progression so um, I, I try to definitely make that a point of conversation when I'm sitting a client down as well, because a lot of us as women in general, no matter what experience, right, no matter cisgendered or, or trans or queer, non-binary, we all have an, an experience of, of the perception that the world has of us. And so I just try to make sure that that space is filled with love. That's really important. And, and when you were talking about um, the connection you make with your clients because you're touching their skin, that mm -hmm. really spoke to me also because that's one thing that I've struggled with like my whole life is letting someone touch my skin, see my imperfections and see things that like I cover up by myself. You know, I don't let people see it. And Absolutely. When you, go, when you go to a makeup artist, you have to you have to let go of that. And that's so difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be vulnerable in that space. I think that's honestly, even as a follow-up comment or answer to that question, that is it. 
right? Like finding mm-hmm. someone who you can let your guard down with. I mean, and that's across the board, even in relationships, that's another episode. <laughs> but um, yeah, definitely just like putting your guard down when, when someone's looking at all the things that you are insecure about. So we are a breast podcast. So I have to ask, have you ever done uh, like the Kardashian cleavage makeup for anybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course I have. Of course. Oh, honestly, I've done it on myself. Um, before um, I, you know, started getting into, you know, my identity, um, I, I struggled with the size of my breast, and I really wanted to enhance them, if not in real life, then at least in photos. And that's the thing about like doing makeup for people, and again, perception of what people think of us is that you know, the internet and what I see in a photo are going to be completely different than what I see in real life. Right. So I've done this service for clients, but I've had to explain to them, look, sister, like this looks great in the picture, but you're still an A cup. So, you know, the D looks great on camera, (laughs) but it's okay to love your A cup too, sweets. It's okay. (laughs) I think that um, people walk, what I've noticed, like when people get haircuts or get their makeup done, they always walk in with like, this is what I want to look like. And it's like the exact opposite of what they're starting with. Oh my God. Can you not say it again? I mean, yes, (laughs) (laughs) that is the truth. Um, I almost, I almost used the swear word. I was going to say fucking, but you know. Oh, you you can swear. We we, we were marked as explicit. So you're good. Oh, that's really hot. Yeah. It's actually (laughs) fucking incredible what people think that they're going to look like, but you know, sometimes people aren't too far off, but you just got to, you know, tap them on the shoulder, baby. Let's, let's, Let's live in this universe, Earth 504, sweetie. Come on, come on down. I think it's it's a lot of responsibility on you also to help your clients love themselves. Like that's a lot to expect when they sit down in the chair. It really is. And I hope that they don't come with that expectation because, you know, it really, again, goes back to the connection, the initial connection. If that person is, is meeting me where I am spiritually, that we can have that conversation. But if someone just isn't aware of who they are in the world and if they don't know what great things they offer, there's nothing my words can do for them. The makeup will just create the facade, the illusion, but it's really inside. You got to come with it. You know, I only dress you up on the outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So growing up, what was your relationship to breasts? How much did they factor into your definition of femininity? Who, you know... For me, breasts actually did not have a very huge impact on my perception of femininity. I I grew up in the South, and so I grew up in a traditional um, Black community, Black family. And so a lot of the times, you know, I look around at the women in my family, and I now look at myself um, after having augmentation, and I have the biggest breast (laughs) because all of the women in my family were all hips and ass. So it didn't really occur to me that breasts were this big phenomenon in, in terms of femininity until I started my, my transition. <laughs> yeah, I started my transition and then I was like, oh, wow, that's it's So it's, it's actually a big deal. I was like, okay. All right, but growing up, not really didn't notice it. So in, in what way was it a big deal? How did it affect your life? Oh, gosh. I mean... For me, first of all, let me let me actually go back. When, when I was growing up, I, I was now having the language to describe it. I believe that I was always very non-binary. I was a, a non-binary femme. Not non-binary by choice, but because I had to fit in 
one role, but I also just wanted to move through, you know, womanhood as well. And so I started playing around with my mom's clothes, started playing around with uh, her night clothes, her lingerie, her bras, her thigh high boots. Um, but yeah, my mom was a stripper. Um, so yeah, <laughs> my mom had, my mom had these like nylon JC Penny, um, slips that yes. when I was like eight years old, I would be like, mom, I'm going to play lady. And I'd put her shoes on and I'd put the slip on yes. and like, I think back on it now. And it was, this is like trash, like nylon Trico stuff that would melt in a fire like but I thought I was so glamorous when I put that stuff on exactly exactly so yeah you know and and again it was really just um you know wearing the bras and wearing slips as you mentioned um didn't really think of it as a way to elude to having breasts it was really just to embody femininity right embody what we thought was beautiful at that time um it wasn't honestly until I um, started realizing that, that guys paid attention to boobs, you know, in like my middle school years. Um, and I was 12 years old in sixth or maybe seventh grade. And I used to play with one of my best friends bras when I went to her house and we would, we would play dress up and, you know, we would, act like fucking destiny's child without a third member. Maybe Kelly was out sick or some shit like that. And I, I remember touching my, my chest and I had these little knots. Um, I had these little knots on my chest and, and I would, I would really feel like th- those were my boobs. Right. Um, and one day I had a checkup with my um, pediatrician. Uh, my mom took me and you know, at that time, you know, you could, and I'm sure you still can now, but you could ask, you know, for your parents to like leave, you're 12 years old, you can kind of like, you know, say, I, I want to talk to the doctor in, in private, I have a question. Of course, they probably, you know, told your mom or dad, whatever the hell was going on. But I said to the doctor during my checkup, you know, what, what's going on with these little knots? Because I didn't realize that I was actually forming little nodules, kind of like, when, when teenage girls first get breast and it was, it was, it was like a little ball and it, it hurt like fuck. I remember that. And, and I was a 12 year old person at the time and I did not identify as a woman. And so for me, I always, I just kind of felt like it was my destiny to fulfill that. Cause I never let that go. I, I'd never paid attention to breasts up until then. I was also 11 years old. You know, what the hell am I looking at breasts for? Right. But when I noticed that I was developing something that I couldn't describe at the time, it was just really, um, it was alarming to me. And, and that's actually when I started doing more feminine things with my outer appearance at 12 years old. Yep. All because I noticed that I had breasts. And, but I also felt that way inside, you know, so that's really when it started. Was when your breasts appeared, was that when you were able to put words to it, what you were feeling inside? Oh girl, hell no. I didn't know a damn thing. Breast, I I wouldn't dare call them breast at the time. Um, I had no idea what what a trans woman was. Um, I had no idea what transitioning even meant. That that was not a part of, you know, Mm -hmm. um, my language growing up. Um, 
So for me, it was just doing things with my hair and doing things with my makeup and getting into doing my brows was one of the first things that I ever did because I felt like that was an easy way to kind of signal to other people that I was attracted to that I may not, um, I not, I, I may not agree with the binary that, that I'm assumed to be right. Because my brows were what we call snatched. Right. And my hair was just, you know, rounded. And so I did everything that I could possibly do discreetly to be feminine. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely a journey, but it wasn't one that I was able to put words to. Did people around you notice that you were making changes to your appearance? Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, yes. You know, I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. In fact, I actually grew up in a rural community um, called Johns Island. Um, and people are very old school. Lots of, uh, lots of African and Caribbean, exp- uh, Caribbean uh, influence. And so, you know, you had to be a macho man you had to be a divinely feminine woman to fit the binary. There was no in-betweens. Anything else in-between questioned your, um, honestly, quest- they questioned your existence. You know, are you supposed to be here? You must not be from here. You don't look like the people from here. And so at 14, 15, you know, I'm now in 10th grade. And I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm doing my brows. I'm wearing more feminine clothes. You know, we had gone and transitioned out of, the 2004, 2005 era of crazy baggy jeans and big t-shirts and now we're in skinny jeans. So bitch, I'm in my, I'm in my, my era, honey. I can show my hips off. I can show off everything that I felt, you know, really connected me to femininity. And um, so, so I'm, I'm in high school and I just kind of start just really living, you know, when I could, you know. So when I got home, I say all that to say I had to tone it down. You know, there was no, there was no makeup. I wasn't doing mascara when I got home. I had to wash my face before I got, you know, on my school bus home. Um, you know, I mentioned, I posted a picture last week in my 10th grade um, guidance counselor commented. And she said, remember when you did that girl's makeup in French class? And I said, well, honey, I speak more cosmetics than I do French. And so that, that just kind of mirrored to me in that moment that I've always been into cosmetics not particularly just because I like cosmetics, because it made me feel feminine. You know, it, it, it just did it for me. Did you do a lot of your friends makeup when you were Girl, growing all up? the time, all the time, <laughs> all the time. I have cousins who are like, oh my God, prom is on May 17th. I'm like, well, shit, I want to go to prom too. Okay. Like, <laughs> I need you to do my makeup. What is something that surprised you about having breasts? Oh, well, that first stage of those knots starting it did hurt, but I just thought that was like normal, like teenage stuff. And then when I started um, HRT treatment, my breast truly started growing and I did not know that this shit hurts so bad. It hurts. I mean, there were nights where I just, I couldn't bear to sleep on my stomach. You know, I, I just could not. Um, there were certain fabrics that I couldn't allow to touch my skin because it, it would irritate it. I had no idea that having breasts, you know, something so highly sought after, something so sexualized, something so just, uh, I didn't know that it could hurt so much. They deserve to be worshipped now that I think about <laughs> it. The fuck? 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. <laughs> I remember I went through something similar. I've told this story in a couple different episodes, but um, when I first started growing breasts, I went from a B cup to a D cup in like four months. Oh God, wait, that what? shit hurt. It hurt. <laughs> yeah. I just, and one grew faster than the other. So it was like, you couldn't even like touch them. It hurt oh, so bad. No. I also had like crazy stretch marks for years. Yes. Cause, that cause so that also happens. Mm-hmm. I'm also a weirdo though. I kind of like stretch marks on boobs. I think it's cute. <laughs> I've heard some people call them tiger stripes. People Love like them. tiger stripes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And like, I've seen like they'll put like glitter on them, like on social media and stuff. I think it's, I think it's amazing. Cause everybody oh, has them. So, that's so cute. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the skin, it's the body's way of saying like, I'm, I'm making room for something bigger and better. <laughs> I also, yeah, exactly. I like that. It's like a, a visual representation of you literally growing as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, yes. it's cool yes. that it's being accepted. Absolutely. Um, so how old were you when you first started wearing a bra? Or if you wear a bra at all? Uh, oh, that we love. We love a multi-layered question. Um, I was I was nineteen when I started wearing bras for like going out purposes, um, and yeah, that didn't last very long because I hate bras. I can't stand them. I think they hurt. No, it was it was very short lived. Would you say that today, as an adult, you feel comfortable in your own body? I would say so. Yeah. Yes. I can confidently say that I feel comfortable in my body. Confident, excuse me, um, as well as comfortable in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think that that's, that's a journey for a lot of women. Cause I think that I, when I wrote that question, I thought about if somebody were to ask me, I don't know if I could say that I do. Like, I think that it's a, it's a difficult place to get to. It's a long journey. Yeah. No matter yeah, what you are. You? 
Well, did, well, so when you were growing up, did you like, were you trained to always have to wear a bra? Like, did your like mom? Tell oh, yeah. You? Yeah. So okay. I was, um, I was raised Muslim. And okay. um, I don't, I don't practice anymore. But yeah, we were very, very conservative as far as like how much of your body could be shown. And I, as a 31 year old woman now, I'm like, okay, I can start being a little braver now to go out without a bra on. And, um, but growing up, I would never have done it. I would never have left the house without a bra. It was just very like fetishized. You don't see it out in public. It's not something you see every day. So when you see it, it's like, whoa, like boobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I have to unpack that in its own, right? Because mm -hmm. when I see someone out with lots of boob exposure, I immediately think of hyper femininity, not exactly sexualized because I may not be attracted to breast, but I think of hyper femininity and I think it's beautiful. But why do I think that's beautiful? Why do I think hyper femininity is beautiful? Why do people that see breast get uncomfortable? <laughs> do mm -hmm. you not like them? Do you have an experience with breasts that made you uncomfortable that you've internalized? So many things to unpack about that. I don't really have any extra luggage. I don't, I don't have any room in mine, but <laughs> you know. I actually, I saw last week, I went to a wedding. I went to my niece's wedding mm -hmm. and my niece is young. She's like 23 and her sister was walked out with shorts, a tank top and no bra. And she's got like double D's. Like she's got, she's got big boobs. Works this. I was just so proud of her. I was like, yes. I, when I was 19 years old, I would never have had, I was gonna say, I would never have had the balls to do that, but <laughs> I would never have had the guts to do that. Like I would yeah. never have done it. Um, and I was just so proud. It's so nice to see that comfort coming out now, you know, cause I didn't have it when I was growing up. Also, yes. I like that distinction you made, Demi, in your response of like comp uh, d separating confidence and comfortable. Cause yeah, yeah. Like more, they are, they can kind of exist without each mm -hmm. other. On certain days, you can be like, yeah, I'm comfortable. I'm at home in sweatpants, like chilling. Yeah. I don't care that my stomach is sticking out or whatever it is. But like if I were to put on like a dress to go out, <laughs> yeah. would, not feel, would not feel so confident. It, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. do you ever, um, Demi, do you ever find yourself in an outfit that makes you uncomfortable, something you've chosen to wear? Or like, like, how do you, how do you differentiate between feeling confident and being comfortable? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, to me, comfortable can be sexy. Let me start by saying, you know, you can be sexy and, and comfortable. Um, and one of the ways that I've kind of embodied that is my my skin ratio. So if I'm showing lots of boob and silhouette of boob, I'll show lots of leg. Um, or, you know, if I'm wearing something really tight fitting, I might show cleavage, but I won't, you know, show too much of the silhouette. Right. And so um, for me, as it pertains to breast, um, I think that I still have a little bit of leftover, uh, that, that leftover conservative um, piece in me that kind of holds me back from being completely confident in what I offer in the breast area. Um, but I also feel like, you know, when you have fucking silicone implants that are probably at this point triple Ds, you really don't have to do a whole lot. <laughs> so I've kind of resorted to the idea of just solely being comfortable, right? And that goes right back to the perception, right? Because we think wearing a t-shirt with a bra and a sweatshirt hides our big boobs, but it doesn't. 
that just makes you feel more comfortable. But are you confident in that moment? You know, so I just I just try to make sure that again, that I make sure mentally I am I am where I need to be um, when I'm going out or when I'm getting dressed, because all it takes is one wrong stare, one compliment too many to make me feel ashamed of what I have. So it's still a work in progress. I haven't worked through everything yet, to be honest. I think we're all still working. Yeah, and um, actually that really speaks to me, what you just said about it taking one one compliment too many, because if you feel like too many people are looking at you, it's like, oh. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think with breasts, especially if you do have large breasts, they tend to be the focal point of your outfit, no matter what you're wearing, even if you're not trying to make them that. Isn't that just so funny? I mean, can you count how many times you've gone to the bodega or went to some event where you had to be checked at the door, random as fuck, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, you're, 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 you're talking to this person, making eye contact and all they can fucking look at is your boobs. Right. You feel, you feel naked. I just feel so seen. And at that moment, I realized that I am underpaid and that we should all have OnlyFans. There's my plug. There you go. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Seen and underpaid. Hashtag pay us. <laughs> I like it. I, like, I mean, if you're going to stare at them for that long, you might as well talk. I mean, cash out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. Um, so when you were transitioning, did your friends and family or, or the people that you're closest to, did, did their perception change of you? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, oh, goodness. <sighs> you know, I think that, you know, when you are very close with family, you're really close with friends, they literally watch you transition right before their eyes. And then one day, one day they look at you and they then realize this is a completely different fucking person, completely different person not just physically, but like the thing about HRT is that it actually changes your perception of yourself, you know, in the world, you become more confident because, you know, those internal thoughts can now be reflected physically. And so, you know, the things that I wore around my friends and family, I began to get more compliments, right? But wrapped up in those compliments were little tidbits of confusion, little tidbits of microaggressions, um, because then people's insecurities began to kind of pop out a bit, right? You know, because I'm now in the league with other women, no matter what experience. And so because I've had breast augmentation, because I've done other, you know, gender affirming surgeries, these are things that all people think about doing. But because I'm a trans girl, this is my life. This is what we do. My life is committed to transitioning. That means internally, and it does mean physically. And I think that's a really hard concept for a lot of people to realize, right? Because, you know, when you're, you're born, you know, cisgendered, right? And you decide to live as the person that you were born or that the anatomically, you decide to live anatomically, um, you know, the person that you were born, you know, it's, it's a little bit different when you are now looking at a person who has modified their outer appearance to, to, to appear to be the likes of you. It, it kind of signals competition, mm-hmm. right? And it's not competition. <laughs> I've only joined the war. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. it. It is, I am not 
in competition. That's a conversation that I've had with a lot of my friends. And for, and I say friends because we've worked through a lot of those things. I do believe those conversations can be worked through. But, you know, the funny thing about it is it actually does all start with the breast. Because mm-hmm. when I physically started transitioning, it was my skin. It was my hair. It was the fat, the way it was distributed throughout my body. That's what the hormones did. But when I got those implants, those breasts, oh, baby, that was a game changer. Because now I'm, I'm, I'm in the league with the girls, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm here. So it's, it's still a challenge. It's still something, it's lifelong. It's no different than, than women innately competing either subconsciously or completely consciously and in, 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 in your face about it. Hey, we all just, we want to be the best in our league. Right. But you know what? Like, I think that, well, I was still familiar enough with the culture to understand that we all have competition. So I knew what I was entering. I, I knew. And so that's exactly why being in the beauty industry, circling back to that, you know, it, it really helped me to understand um, this culture that I'm entering. It, it truly did allow me to kind of position before physically transitioning. Mm-hmm. Um, some would call it field research if you're a marketing strategist. <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's what I did. I I positioned myself, not, you know, with the complete intention to mimic, but because I knew that this is who I wanted to be. And these are the people that love and embraced me no matter what physical form. So it, it, it really gave me the opportunity to realize, okay, all right, this, this is how it is. Okay. I can either be just like that, or I can be that intricate piece that really shifts the paradigm of what being a woman is, right? It's sisterhood, it's, it's, it's friendship, right? It's, it's building up um, your peer, right? And giving them confidence, right? No matter how comfortable they are. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a journey. And so again, people have always looked at me in one light, um, but they can only you know, really know unless we have these conversations. So I'm glad that we're doing this. And I hope that people listening um, are able to, to, to gain from this and apply anything that they find useful into their interpersonal relationships with women. Um, so to that end, what do you think is the most respectful way for a cis person who wants to ask you questions about it? What's the most respectful way for them to approach you? Ooh, do your own research. Do your research. That way you have questions that um, I, I don't want to have to start from, from a grassroots ground level. Mm-hmm. When answering a question, um, you should have enough information to ask me a specific question about the trans experience. Um, and that signals to me that I am safe. I am not being questioned to be interrogated. I'm being questioned because this person, this friend is seeking understanding. Um, so, you know, there's nothing wrong with asking, right? But before, it's just like being in class. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, someone's asking you what two plus two is, you're not going to say, but wait, like, what's this math thing? You know what the fuck math is. You just don't know the answer. So come knowing that you're in math class, right? But then have a specific question as to how does it actually happen? How does two plus two actually equal four? Okay. That's what I mean. Um, I know a lot of people seem to be really intimidated to ask questions. And I know it's scary because you know, especially in light of cancel culture and, and not wanting to be offensive. 
the thing about it is keep in mind, you got to meet people where they're at. Every trans girl isn't an advocate. Every trans girl isn't a panel speaker. Every trans girl doesn't have the language surrounding his or her or their or Z or Z's experience. Um, there's a whole lot of things that go into um, transitioning and I am still figuring it out, you know? So um, I'm, I'm an open book or I try to be at least. Sometimes I beat around the bush until I get to the answer, but hell, I got to warm up first, God damn it. I mean, that. <laughs> I got to warm up. Then we can get into the questions. Um, is there any message or narrative that you haven't talked about yet that you, you would like to see get out there more regarding transgender people? Um, you know what? I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I am so busy literally just trying to push through everyday life that like I, I haven't thought enough about any agendas or narratives to push, to, to communicate to further educate, you know, because I'm just, I'm adjusting as a person right now, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, the, narr the narrative would be I'm human. So no, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, like a human. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and I hate that. Cause I hope I'm not coming from a place of privilege, but I'm just so far removed at times, um, from, from everything happening around me because it, I'm, I'm very sensitive to it um, because it's happening right before my eyes. You know, um, every day, every week, excuse me, I, I could pray to God there's never a day um, where there's a trans woman killed every day. I, I hate to see it every month, but every day this happens, every month, every week at one point it was happening. And so it, it just became such a shock to me that I'm like, oh my God, like, I can't watch any more news. I, I've unfollowed plenty of like bloggers on, on Instagram um, because I just can't, I can't do it. I don't want to see it. You know, I just hold my dear friends near to me. My dear friends that include cis folks, tons of trans girls, trans men, non-binary femmes, your non-binary folks, period. I just, I just try to love on anybody that I could possibly love because I know that it is going to be reciprocated and I just want them to love me back. That's it. That's the, that, that's, that's my agenda. That is, that's my narrative <laughs> as PC and fucking granola and fucking Aspen, Colorado, as that might seem. <laughs> I'm just trying to live. That's mm -hmm. it. Me and me and my big old breasts. We just pumping through bed style, baby. That's it. <laughs> I love that. Um, one yes. of the things that I read when I was doing my research for this episode, a quote that I really, really resonated me with me was um, that it's not so important to to know all the differences that are out there, just to be open to them. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. I mm -hmm. think you know one of the things that I actually that popped up in my head when you were asking or chatting about this was, do you have any close friends or relatives that have gone through the trans experience, and do you have someone? close to you that you can have these conversations with? Um, close to me, no. Um, I, do, I do know a few trans women. Um, I, mm -hmm. I work in fashion. It's, um, there's all sorts of people in my, in my industry that mm -hmm. um, I get to come across, but actually, no, I don't. Um, that I know of. There could be just people who haven't shared it with me. Yeah, that, don't, that I I don't know. Don't, yeah. oh, don't you love that? I mean, there's, yeah. there's a gem inside of that statement because yeah. you said there are trans people in your proximity 
that you may not know, but there are a few that have um, revealed themselves to you. And the thing about it is they're in all types of industries, right? Not just fashion, there's trans people in tech, there's, there's trans people in, in engineering, you know? And I think that that idea just baffles people, right? And those are oftentimes the trans people that may not be hyper-feminine, that may not have triple D or double D breast walking around so that you know um, that they are, you know, feminine and unapologetic about it. Some people are trans and non-binary. Some people are trans and may not have actually gone through any gender affirmation surgeries. And so mm-hmm. I'm certain that you've probably come across more trans people than you know. It's just, yeah, I always yeah. Ask, like asking that. So I have, um, I have a lot of young nieces and nephews mm-hmm. and their view on gender is completely different than what I grew up with. Oh, to them, yeah. They're, they already know there's, you know, my nephew's seven years old. He already knows it's fluid. He knows it. And he knows it better than I do because it's something that's been ingrained in him from, you know, when we were little, we were taught boys, girls, that's it. And then everything else is like little secret stories that you hear, you know? Yes. Um, But what I, one thing that I've talked to other moms that we've interviewed and stuff is that like, you know, I want to change children's perceptions of, of breasts because um, it's so fetishized, but the other thing that I think is so important is that children's perception of what we as adults grew up thinking was quote unquote, and I, I don't like this word, but quote unquote normal yeah. is completely off. Like it's not, it's not at all what, what we thought it was, you know? And like, that goes back to what I said earlier is that it's not important for us to know every single type of person that exists, every single difference that's out there. It's important for us to be open to accept them. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And I really, I really, um, I'm happy I got to have this conversation with you and I'm glad you asked me that question. Oh, I'm happy that I was able to. I, I sometimes I, when we have these interviews and um, when I listen to people on different platforms, sometimes the conversations can be just so cringeworthy, right? Mm-hmm. Just, oh my God, like really? But, you know, I just, I have to thank you so much for your approach. You know, I think that that is something really noble. And I think that like, even though you might be curious about my experience as a trans person, you made it personable. You personified the experience. And that is what, that's, that's what makes these conversations so easy. Right. And I think that like these conversations, hopefully they're listened to by thousands and millions of people praying for that to be the truth. Um, And I think that these are the conversation and the dynamics socially that are going to make the world different, right? It's going to really, really kind of um, charge the change. So thank you. Before we let you go, we like to ask our guests a few rapid fire questions. Do it, do it, do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what do you call your breasts? Oh, the girls. I think that's a common one. <laughs> You're only the second person who said that. You'd be surprised. What? Okay, yeah. yes. They're yeah. the girls, the girls. Yes. Um, what's your least favorite word for breasts? uh titties me too <laughs> i hate it it's so gross oh oh i think it's it's honestly the only thing i can think about is a um is a cow that's it i yeah. mean you might as well just call them otters <laughs> at that point call them otters i, I don't know <laughs> what is your favorite thing about your own breasts Ooh, 
the cleavage. The cleavage. The cleavage is is truly a blessing, you know, the, the way that they just kind of sit. And there's so many different styles of cleavage too. Um, because I have implants, you know, I have these like rounded cleavage at the bottom. So they kind of just cup any t-shirt. Oh, when I tell you a drink at the bar, not a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember your first bra? Yes, I do. It was a push-up bra from Victoria's Secret, Demi. <laughs> <laughs> Swear to God, push-up baby, the Demi. Was it a bombshell Demi? I think that might've been the style of it. Um, but baby, I wore her ass out. You hear me? I wore her <laughs> to smithereens. <laughs> um, you kind of answered this one already. Um, what type of bra, if any, do you prefer? Absolute not a fucking one. <laughs> not wearing it. <laughs> and what do you do to treat your breasts? Any products or self-care rituals? <sighs> I am a big fan of mango butter. I put mango butter from any African um, market or um, any store that sells like different oils and stuff. I love just bathing them in shea butter and mango butter. And then there's also this one, this actually, oh my God, this, this is insane because Cynthia, she, she's the founder of this brand that I know called Violets or Blue. She makes this really cool oil um, I forgot what it's called, but it's like her facial serum, but I have shit tons of them because like she loves me and I just kind of like lather it. <laughs> it's really bad. Like I like, it has like Healy Chrism and like jojoba oil and rosehip oil, which is great for those tiger marks. You know, if you're looking to camouflage those ladies and gents, um, it is probably one of my go-tos for sure. But any oil, any butter, lather them up, baby. Do you have anything else you want to share with everybody? Anything um, you're plugging or? Yeah, you know what? Um, I don't have much to plug except for, you know, follow my journey on Instagram at Miss Demi V. That's M-I-S-S-D-E-M-I-V-E-E. -E -E. Um, yeah, follow me along for this ride. Of course, there are more things cosmetic and beauty related going on, but I just want to get to know you all and love on you for who you are. So let's connect. Thank you so much for joining us, Demi. This was an amazing conversation. I had a really good time. I hope you did too. I did. I did. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. The Very Breast Podcast Ever was written, produced, and recorded by Nadia Figueroa and Alyssa McHugh. Cover art by Alyssa McHugh. Opening music by Margaret Tran. Check her out on Spotify. For episode transcripts and sources, please visit our website at theverybreastpodcastever.com. Do you have questions? Corrections? Do you want to tell us your breast story? Get in touch with us on Instagram at theverybreastpod or email us at theverybreastpodcastever at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now go out and make today the breast day ever. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.